Your choice. Your choice. Now we're going to close out this week with the four, and I'm not going to get to the fourth one because the fourth section is drunkenness and orgies, and I think we've already covered enough about sex. The orgy issue is just more than one or two partners and so forth, and the drunkenness, we already covered some of that, so we won't be hitting that fourth section of this, but we're in the third section today. This section covers all the backbiting, fighting, the hatred, the deceptiveness, the foolishness, the anger, the rage that tears up any organization or any institution that wants to have unity. God desires his people and his church to have unity. But when these things creep in, they tear up. And there cannot be unity nor peace with these things being prevalent in an organization, in a household, in any group. It will render the group useless. Useless. These things tear up homes that we're going to talk about. These things tear up the best of friends. They will cause friends to separate. These things will cause organizations to just dissolve. Some of these things that we would look at today, we could see if we really look at what took place in East Akron at each in the house there and this board and everything else. The whole process here is to understand that these things have to disappear out of our lives if we're really going to serve the Lord. Now, somebody will say, well, these are just fleshly things. These these things are things that we all will deal with. Yes, you will deal with them. We all deal with them. But the reason for the second part that we will go in, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, is to show you the difference between living in the flesh and living in the power of the Spirit. Where God's people are called to live. In Galatians 5, starting with verse 20, we covered idolatry and witchcraft because that was the second group. Now we're in this third group. It is hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Those things will tear up a family. Those things will tear up any organization. Those things will just totally render you useless and ineffective. As a people, we have forgotten what it takes to have unity. And we're living in a generation that doesn't even know what unity or loyalty really means. Uh, We're living in a generation that doesn't understand the word commitment and responsibility. 
they understand discord because it's always happening with them. They understand confusion because their life stays in confusion. They understand rage and anger as we see it on news constantly and in the paper constantly. How would a young man take a knife and hurt 22 people and not be angry and then at the end tell the police he wished somebody would have shot him? Something's going on on the inside. And we're seeing it constantly. The, the soldier, he didn't go shoot the people that made him mad. He shot just anybody that he could shoot. But he was raging on the inside. We constantly today see people totally out of control. And what we see in the last part when we're going to study the gifts of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, those gifts, what we'll understand, one of the most important areas is control. It's self-control. Self-control takes away the selfishness and the selfish ambition. Self-control. And it penetrates every part of our life. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand, because we're going to look at a couple of verses. But I want to put this in your mind first. How many of you really believe, 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 believe that the Bible is true, that God's Word is true, and God means what He says? You really believe that? Okay. In your spiritual life, if you've accepted the Lord, is it going to be your way or His way? Yeah. It really is going to be His way. Now, you may not like His way, but it's going to be His way. My daddy used to say it like this. In this house, there's only one way. But that door swings both ways. If you're going to be here, you're going to accept my way. But you don't have to accept my way. And I'm not going to force you to be here. Now understand this. You may be saying, Lord, Lord. But Jesus says, those that follow him, his disciples, they love him and keep his what? There's no question about that. Follow me and keep my commandments. We are in a generation where we have people who are saying, Lord, Lord, and Jesus, Jesus, and just as far away from him as can be. Something's wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with that picture. And even at the church, we don't want to deal with that seriously. But we've got to come down to a place, either you are born again or you're not. Because there's a lot of people going to wind up in hell, sitting in churches, singing in the choir, doing certain little religious things, and going to wind up in hell. Now, I want you to understand this. My salvation is not based really on what I do. 
But it really is based on the relationship that I'm involved in and with the person of Jesus Christ. And if the person of Jesus Christ is in your life, you cannot remain the same. You cannot remain the same. If it's your way, then you're out of God's house. And the only way you're going to stay committed to God and in God's house and in his heaven if it's his way. Period. Now, the scripture says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Hang on to that. Now, when we get back to Galatians 5, it's going to be very important that we can tie these couple of things together. The will of my Father. That's important. Okay. He says in, also in Matthew seven sixteen, By their fruit you will recognize them. Now he's talking about the false prophets. Could it be that we have some false Christians? Uh, uh, and the Lord says... You'll recognize them. You'll recognize them. It's not so much what they're saying, but how they're living and what they're doing. You'll recognize them. Then he goes on, he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you will, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, Now, catch that. You want. To carry out what your father's desires. I'm going to be a little transparent here. I'm the eighth child in my family. All my brothers proceeding before me. My brother Coy. All of them had children, basically, out of wedlock. Till it got down to me. But what I had witnessed and seen, it was the hurt and the pain of my parents going through this. My oldest brother fathered a child out of wedlock. And the young lady lived... Right around the corner from us. We lived on Cottings. She lived on Livingston. The father of the young lady, my dad went around to explain to the father, he's willing to pay half of the hospital bill. Back then, your insurance did not cover for nobody but your wife. That he's willing to cover all half of the expenses of bringing this child into the world. And the gentleman explained to my father, I don't want to see you, I don't want to see your son, I don't want you to have anything to do with my granddaughter. My father honored that man's request. But because the young lady was just around the corner from us, 
when my dad would take his walks, every now and then he would see her. He wouldn't talk to her. He wouldn't say anything to her. He just wanted to see if she was okay. One day, at 48 years old, this young lady knocks on the door at 1080 Packard Drive. And my dad went to the door and she asked my dad, are you my grandfather? 48 years old. Are you my grandfather? And my dad said, yes. I've watched you grow up. (laughs) And her question was, why didn't you ever come see? Why And went through all that and he shared the agreement he had made with her other grandfather. And he honored that. But could you see the pain? And that young lady, every month, just started coming to see my dad and my mom. Even at the point she was taking my dad out to dinner, just doing and just coming. And even in his latter years, sometimes she would just come and sit with him. As her grandpa. My niece. There was a young lady walking down the street every day. And my dad would wave at her and they got to a point they were talking to each other. And one day she brought her daughter up to meet my dad. And they just got to know each other. Then one day my sister was over. And my sister saw her. My sister ran out to talk with her. And she was going over to see her mother down here at Saferstein Towers. Come to find out Her mother was married to my nephew, David, lived in California now, who was my dad's grandson. So the young girl that he was talking to was his great-granddaughter. But then her daughter that he met was his great-great-granddaughter. We say, Lord, Lord, and we can get so disconnected from the family that we don't even know who the Father is. And oftentimes we're walking around in this world never recognizing God as our Father because we have drifted so far away and things have taken place. And he says, boy, You do the work of your father. Now, ask yourself this question. Who do you really desire to please? One of the things that kept me out of sin or out of trouble as a young man was that I did not want to hurt my father or my mother. I didn't want to hurt my father or my mother. 
Here I am in my 60s, taking care of my dad. And my dad didn't mean to do it. But my dad hit me, he reared back. It happened so fast. But I'm so glad that I was not a child that was taught just to what? Just swing back. Who do you really desire to please? So that's, what, that's what's going to happen with these, this verse and this stuff we're going to look at. If you don't desire to really please God, you're going to fall into every one of these areas of sin and entrapments that Satan will lay for you. And he says, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. Whose desires do you really want to carry out? Go to 1 Corinthians 6. Now, oftentimes we want to put this on other people. And sometimes, people, we got to own things and we got to question ourselves. So, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not do what? Inherit the kingdom. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, first thing we will say, we're not wicked. Now, stay, stay with me. Stay with me. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral. Am I sexually immoral? I better deal with it. Nor the idolater. I better deal with it. Nor the adulterers. I got to deal with it. Nor male prostitutes. I got to deal with it. We got those yet today. Nor homosexual offenders. I got to deal with it. Nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it says, none of those will what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Stay, stay, stay with me. Don't lose me yet. At the end of Galatians 5, 21, we read also these same words. Those who live this way, describing what we're going to go through. He says, those who, who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand it. Won't inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, Philippians 1 6. It is understood that the moment I received the Lord Jesus Christ, He starts working in my life. 
because none of us are perfect. So it says, being confident of this, that he who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, he's going to work in my life. Remember when we started this series? We talked about the knife, the sword, that Jesus said he'd come to do what? Cut. He comes to cut these things out of our lives. He comes to destroy these things out of our lives. Why? They're not going to be in his father's house. How many of you have taught your children certain things won't be in your house? If anybody's going to cuss in my house, it's going to be me, and I'm not going to do it. Now, if I do it, then that gives permission for everybody else to do it. But I'm not going to do it. We're not going to disrespect each other in the home. And we're not going to yell in the home. We're not going to get drunk in the home. We're not going to drink in the home. We're not going to smoke in the home. There's things in the home that we're not going to do if you're in my home. Now, you can be my child and you can smoke away. You just won't do it in my home. You can have all kinds of girlfriends that you sleep with, but when you come to my home, that's not going to happen. And there are certain folks, and you can ask all my kids, some of their friends, I would see them the first time, and I'd tell them, I don't want to see that person here again. Now, when you get your place, you invite whoever you want. But here, I don't want to see that face again. In God's house, God has rules and things that He will not allow. King James, he goes down because he says, I'm not going to allow these things in my house. Hatred is not going to be in my house. I got to cut that out of your life. If you're a black person or a white person and you hate the other race, God says, that's not going to happen in my house. You got to deal with that when? Right now. It's not going to happen in my house. You're not going to be in my house hating each other. That's not going to happen. So we got to deal with it now. Variance or discord, I'm not going to have discord in my house. I'm not going to have all this confusion in my You got to deal with it when? Now. I'm not going to have emulation and jealousy in my house. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And not in my house, nobody is going to have wrath or rage but me. In my house. And in my house, there's not going to be any strife or selfish ambition. In my house, seduction or dissension, heresy or faction, envy and murder, as King James would put it, and not in the NIV. Now, what are some of these things? 
Hatred, what tears up about hatred is simply this, and why it cannot be allowed in your home is because it's hostility, it's hostile. You can only control your hatred so long if you don't deal with it. It's going to spill out. It's going to come out. It's the reason for which you oppose something or you don't like something. It's a very strong dislike. And the thing is, eventually it's going to come out. And you've got to deal with the hatred that is in your own heart. Now, children who grow up hating a father or a mother, blaming them for something they didn't do, understand something. Get past that. Now, understand that, and I'm going to be a little bit more transparent here. I have brothers, some of them, like my brother, one older brother, he hated that. The reason he hated that, because before drooping was ever around, he was drooping, and dad would tell him, pull them pants up and put a belt on, and he was going to defy dad. And back in them days, there was no 911. There was only a prayer while you was getting beaten. And to this day, he thinks dad was just mean. Now understand something. Like James' dad. James was playing Superman before Superman was on the screen. Because James' dad one day took him, threw him from one side of the room to the other. The only reason I'm saying it is because he didn't told the story so many times. And Roger just cracks up every time he tells it. Hey. You had a different type of parent then. My mom only had one good hand, but we didn't know it because she had to have a bone taken out of this hand. But my mom, my mom would take a rolling pin. Y'all don't know where it was to roll out dough. But she'll grab that rolling pin and pop you upside the head with it. And don't say go outside and get a switch. You were looking for the Vaseline to put on them switch. Because them whips would come up on your legs, your back, and you couldn't even lay down on your back when the switch got on it. And when I was a young man in church, every grandma came in church almost with a switch. You didn't have no nursery. And boy, you hoped the switch didn't hit you because grandma would have that whack. And you had them little shorts on, the next thing you know, that switches and went across your leg. You can hate somebody for what you think they've done to you. And you can hold on to it. And the only thing you're going to do is hurt yourself. Your hostility towards a parent or towards a friend or towards somebody else, you're only hurting yourself. And God says, you got to deal with your hatred and your hostility because it's not going to be in my house. Go to 1 John 2.9. Look what he says. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Hatred puts you where? In darkness. In darkness. 
And usually when people hate somebody, they don't understand something. Something's missing. Something they don't see. Something they don't understand. And hatred always puts you in darkness. God says you got to deal with that. And he's giving you the Holy Spirit to help you deal with it. He's not going to allow it. Hatred or discord cause Cain and Abel problems. And you can go on down the line and you can see hatred. Saul hating David caused him problems. You can go on down the line. And you got to deal with the hatred. The discord is conflict. Now, we all going to have conflict and disagreement. But you don't let it linger around to where it causes a lack of disharmony. You're not going to agree on everything with everybody. And you need to understand that. But you don't allow it to come to a point to where you want to hurt somebody because you're in conflict with them or in disagreement with them. Turn to Acts 15. Verse 37. Is it 37? Yeah. Paul and Barnabas are in a disagreement. They're in a conflict. And there's over this person called Timothy. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. And see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, John Mark, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Here's two giants of a Christians. Two giant Christians. And remember who went and found Paul? It was Barnabas. And you catch the first part of Acts when the relationship is being built, you always find it Barnabas Paul, Barnabas Paul, Barnabas Paul. Paul's kind of like tagging along with Barnabas. Then later on it becomes Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. But there was such a disagreement that they separated. And I think God shows the one that was right. Why? Because later on we hear Paul saying, send me John Mark. Send me John Mark. Send me John Mark. Why? He has spent some time with Barnabas. Discord. Conflict. In your home, settle conflict quickly. Now understand, in a marriage sometime, you need to say to each other, 
We're not going to have conflict here. I've told you the story years ago when I was a young married man. This old man would go out on Friday night, Saturday night, and think he could party and leave wife at home. That don't work. And we would have our little arguments and flare-ups and so forth, and I would go down to the Y. At that time, it was only $5 for a room. And I was tired of paying $5. And I just came back home and I said, Hon, if we disagree, we got bedrooms. You'll be in one bedroom, I'll be in another bedroom. Until we solve it. And the thing is, is this here. We start having less conflict. I wasn't going to run away from it. And she's not going to run away from it. I have to praise God for my wife. She never ran home to her mom for any reason. And finally, we just made an agreement. I'll never leave the house again. That's the consoling part. Then we made an agreement. We'll never leave each other. You make those agreements. Because conflict will come up. And conflict will do what to you? Separate you. What it removes in the family and in any organization or any group, it removes the harmony that's supposed to be there. And when you lack harmony, you're not going to have unity. You're not going to have unity. Third is jealousy. Resentfulness, envious, heated rivalry. You find that with Joseph and his brothers. They were jealous how the father treated this young man and his coat of many colors. They were jealous and they were angry about it. We find jealousy even with Moses and, and Moses' leadership and those who opposed Moses. It was jealousy. Who made you the head? Who made you our leader? Who put you in that position? Jealousy, envy will also bring about a total disrespect. Ladies, hear me on, on, on this, because I think this sometimes even happens in our home. We get jealous over the one who is in authority. And we become envious. Men, we have to use our authority properly and rightfully. And that's in the area of showing our wives that we love them as Christ loveth the church. And we mean them good. But ladies, no man can function without respect. You want to tear a man down, you disrespect him. You disrespect him. Sometimes that's all a man has is his respect. 
He don't have a job. He don't have no money. He don't have it. But what he has is his respect in his name. You take that, you just destroyed the man. Men need respect. Respect. And oftentimes, jealousy and envy robs from people respect that is due them. Then we move on to the area of rage and wrath. It's just madness and anger out of control. You cannot reason with a person when they're what? Out of control. When they're mad and they're just angry, they're not going to hear a thing that you're talking about. They won't hear a thing that you're saying. And it's just a rage. And that's why it says in that part, which we'll study a little bit more when we study the fruit of the Spirit, the control. The gift of control. Because we all need it. Because we all have the ability to what? Rage. And when that rage goes out of control, we read about it in the Bigner Journal. We read about it in different areas. And we see it on TV. Because it is an anger out of control. And the person afterwards says, I don't know why I did that. That was not my intention to hurt them or to kill them or to do this. But it is a rage out of control, an anger out of control. Go to Proverbs fourteen sixteen, Because in that out of controlness, there, there's always going to be that balance that is going to be there. And, and oftentimes with violence, somebody's going to get hurt. It's not intentional. That's not what I meant for you to have. See, see sometimes Pastor Brown will talk crazy too. And um, I remember one time I was uh, punishing one of my kids and they said, just go ahead and kill me. I'm trying. And I just told I'm trying. See? And uh, we were in a meeting, Elaine and I, we were in a meeting with just psychologists and so forth and we were working with the kids and they're going to pose a question about if your son, if you told your son to go get a haircut and he told you no, he wanted his hair long and this and that, how would you handle that? Well, when he got around to me, Elaine, she's hitting me underneath the table, you know. And, and so, and I said, you really want me to answer this? Yes. Uh, how would you handle that, Mr. Brown? What would you do? I said, well, let me rephrase something to you. Is he my son? You know, yes, he's your son. Well, he'll wonder where his head went. And we wouldn't worry about no haircut. Because if he defied me when I told him to get a haircut, he would, he would wonder what happened to his head. Because, see, one thing I would not tolerate is... You define me when I have directed you to do something. It will not happen in my home. 
Now I can't say what will happen outside my home. But it will not happen in my home. Now understand this. Boy. God will not be mocked or will he be defied. He is a loving father. He is a gracious father. He's all that. He's a forgiving father. But somehow we got God down to a weak somebody. And God is not weak. And God's not so desirous to have you as his child that he will accept you in any kind of way. We need to come back to understand who we are calling God, who we are calling Lord, who we're calling Savior. We we got to come back and really realize who we are serving. We are serving a living God. Not some idol. Not someone who doesn't act. He will not be mocked. He will not be defied. He will not allow you to show off on him. And he says, this madness and this uncontrollable temper that you might have, you got to bring it under control. Proverbs 14, 16. He says, and look what he says. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil. What shuts down that anger? What shuts down that violence? What shuts down that out-of-controlness? Is my fear of the Lord. Is the fear of the Lord. If some of us can just say Jesus before we rage, it would be surprised how it brings us down. If some of us can just quote a verse or think about God, we'll be surprised how that comes down. And he says, a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil. What causes me to shun the evil? The fear of the Lord. What is it as a young man that kept me out of trouble a lot of times? Was the fear of how I was going to hurt my father or mother. And sometimes just the fear of what was going to happen once I hit home. Fear can be a good thing. And it's hard simply here a high respect. When your children don't respect you, they'll run over you. I have told a number of mothers, and I've seen this especially over and over. And the way I see it is when I see these young men cut their eyes at their mothers, or or I'll see mom saying something, and the young man walk on off. I have no problem telling a mother, that young man is going to try to knock your head off one day. You better know how far you can push him. Because, see, a young man... He comes to a point where he respects. If he doesn't really respect mom, he's going to run over mom. And without a father there, there's nothing there to stop him. Because a young man comes to know when he can overpower. Vic, can you overpower your mom? He don't even want to go there. Not so much that it's about mom, 
But if he mess with mom, he got to contend with who? He don't want to go there. See? Tyler one day, boy, her son, and I taught my kids, you get them while they're small. Jeremy spotted off, boy, and he was in the refrigerator looking for him. He had his head in there. And she came around the corner and saw that head in there. She took that refrigerator door and much as she could. Whack! And he come out the refrigerator with bruises on his head. And then one day him and I had, we had to have a talk out here. Because Mr. Wells saw my grandson spotting on with her. And I took Jeremy outside and I said, Jeremy, I want you to know something. You raise your hand up against my daughter. That's my daughter. She's your mommy, but she's my daughter. I'll put a baseball bat upside you so quick, you won't know what happened to you. You're a good-sized young man, and I'm an older man. I can't tussle as long as I can, but I can swing a bat pretty good. And I want you to know something. You hurt my daughter, I'll hurt you. People, you talking about sometimes being real? God is real with us. That's why God's telling us what won't be in his house. It won't be in his kingdom. He won't allow it in his children. He won't allow it. And he says, it's the fear that causes one to shine evil. And then he says, it's the fool is a hot-headed and reckless individual. It's the fool who rages. Because it's the fool who says there is no God. It's the fool who doesn't fear God. But it is the fear of God that restrains us from evil. Strife and selfish ambition. And this is what we're seeing more and more of. In our culture, our society... And our organizations. The strife or selfish ambition is all about me. It's what I want. Children, hear me. Nobody's going to love you like dad and mom. Nobody's going to care for you like dad and mom. The advice that dad and mom gives to you is not to hurt you, but it is to prosper you. And our young people don't understand that today. Because our young people get caught up in that area. It's all about who? Me. I don't care about nobody else. It's only about me. That's that selfish ambition. I want only what I want. And God recognizes that about us. And God says, you got to lose that. Because see, it's not about your way, it's about whose way. Yeah. Okay. It's my will yielding to his will. That's why Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Your will be done. Okay. And it, it, it comes to that. It's not, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's not about others. 
And I don't care if others get hurt. I don't care how it affects others. As long as I satisfy me. That's that strife and selfish ambition. When you go to 1 Samuel 20, 30, 32, you, you, you find that whole area of that selfish ambition right there. I'm sorry, in Joshua 7, 20, 21. Achan, boy, he, he steals. He takes this stuff. That's being told. Don't take any of this stuff. Turn to it for a moment. Turn to Joshua. Chapter 7. Uh, what I want you to listen to is what he's saying here. Because this is what we often say to ourselves. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done, and do not hide it from me. They had went up to Al, and they had got themselves beaten. They only sent a few because they knew it wouldn't take a whole army to defeat this little town, this little city. But because something that happened prior, God withdrew the victory from them. But look what Achan says in verse 20. Achan replied, It is true I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from the Babylonians, and 200 shackles of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shackles. I covered them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. He didn't care what happened to the rest of the Israelites. He didn't care if they didn't have victory anymore. He didn't care if Others got killed as long as he could have what his eyes saw and what he wanted. And oftentimes that's us. We don't care how it affects other people. We don't care what pain it brings into other people's life. We don't care what hurt it brings into other people's life. We don't care what devastation might happen to other people. As long as I get what I want. That's that selfish ambition. And even in the church, if God's going to be glorified, it's not about the pastor always getting what he wants. Not about the congregation getting what the congregation wants. It's about what God wants for us as a people under the authority of God. It's about, not about what dad wants or what the head of the house wants or what the children want. It's about will our house as a unit, as a father and mother and children, will we glorify God and honor God? And is it what God wants for our home? It's not about me living in Georgia or living in Akron or living in California. The question is for our family is this, where does God want us to be? Where does God want us to be? Our life and our purpose as a unit is to glorify God. Our purpose as an institution, as a church, as an organization, is to glorify God. And somehow we miss that when we get into our own selfish ambitions. The ambition should not be to build the biggest church, no. 
Their ambition should not be to have the biggest chandelier or the best choir or the best this or the most beautiful home or the best car. Our ambition ought to be, are we going to glorify God? And if that's not our ambition in living, then it's a selfish ambition. It's only about me. It's only about me. Then, the dissension. Difference of opinions. We can have different opinions. We can disagree. But in our disagreement, we don't have to quarrel and really fall out with each other. We can disagree with somebody of high area or somebody of low area. We can disagree with a rich person or a poor person. We can disagree with a very intelligent person or a person who is unlearned. We can have disagreements. But that disagreement does not cause me to dislike you. That disagreement does not cause me to slander you. That disagreement does not cause me to gossip about you. That disagreement does not cause me to tear you down or to tear down your reputation. We can disagree. And it's okay. But it's not okay for us violently quarreling to a point to where we're ready to fight and knock each other's heads off and hurt each other. It is not proper in the church, in any kind of meeting in which we're in, that the meeting is, is disrupted because we're quarreling and beginning to call each other's names. That is no longer the house of God. Disrespecting each other in God's house is not the house of God. We are all one body. Whether it be at the house of the Lord, whether it be at Arlington, whether it be at any other church, we are all one body. And in that one body, there should be a high respect for each other. Go to Amos 3.3. Amos 3.3. And oftentimes we have to practice this. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? There has to be an agreement. Let's talk about the agreements just for a moment. Elaine and I, we have walked together for 48 years because we agreed on how we were going to raise our children. We walked together for 40 years because we agreed that when it was time to leave Chrysler and go to school, we agreed upon it. We walked together because we have agreed in so many areas of how we were going to live and function. We agreed. Friendships are developed because we agree. We agree. 
Not just on philosophy, but on heartfelt things. A man and a woman who do not sit down and talk about what they agree on and what they disagree on. To see if they can come together and walk together. For five years of our dating relationship, we talked about our dream. We talked about how my family was raised, how her family was raised, and how we would like to raise our children. We didn't even have children. But we talked about it. We agreed before we ever bought a home what we wanted in the home. So we talked about our first home. What we would want in that home. What kind of house we would look for. We, we talked about. We talked about a lot of things about our life before we ever even began to walk together. To discover whether or not if we really could walk together. She got her thing and sometimes she'd tell, yeah, them Browns are just stubborn and, and they just bullheaded and they just this and they just that. Well, that's part of us in my family part. And, but the Lord has trimmed that down some in so, some area. But then when I was going to talk about her, yeah, that Morgan side come out. <laughs> But it's not about the Brown or the Morgan. It's about Gus and Elaine. That we learn how to walk together. How do two walk together unless they what? Agree. In mind and heart. On the spiritual things and these worldly things. That we agree. See, we agree. We don't really have to have a nice home to be together. We can be in a three-bedroom trailer, and we have been, and be together. We can be in a shack and be together. We don't need a whole lot of money to love each other. We agree. We love each other. You got to bring it down to what it is that you agree on that will allow you to stick together. And be together. And you got to do that with, with the Lord. Lord, here's where I agree with you. Lord, this is where I disagree with you. Lord, this is where I agree with you. Lord, this is where I disagree with you. God's big enough to take that. But guess what? He'll change your mind. See? Because when you fall in love with Him, there's a lot of change that takes place. You know something that has weathered us for 48 years? Because we love each other, there's been a lot of change on both sides. And he says, boy, how will two walk together unless they agree? Now, I understand that we add this part onto it too. We can agree to what? Now, we can do that, but sometimes that can be awful difficult, isn't it? We can agree to disagree, but which one's going to lose? We can agree to disagree, but which one is going to give in? We can agree to disagree, but whose way is it really going to be? What is it going to take for that to happen? It's easy said, but hard done. 
Not impossible. But if you agree to disagree, and you're going to stay in it, you need to understand it may not be the way you want it, but you have agreed to give all your loyalty, all your work effort, everything you have, you have agreed to surrender and come under that person's leadership. Or the way this thing is going to go. The last one. Fractions. Heresy. If you look at Judas, you see it. The word boiled down to working against. Heresy is something that works against the gospel. It's against the gospel. When you make it up in your mind that you're against something so fiercely and angrily against it, leave it. Leave it. I know the scripture says God hates divorce. And as a young pastor, I made the mistake of saying sometimes to young women, don't divorce, don't leave. As I matured, I learned that I made a mistake. God never meant for a woman to be beat to where her head is all swollen up, her ribs are broken. She's living in fear and not knowing what to say or how to say it. Having somebody put a gun in your mouth and play Russian roulette and I'm telling you to stay in that. The police are finding you four or five doors down from your house then snug up into somebody's cupboard underneath the sink, trembling with fear because the husband put a shotgun to your head and snapping it. I made some dumb, foolish mistakes. Yeah, you need to get as far away as you can get. I understand God hates divorce because of what it does. And I understand the power of God to reconcile marriage also. But see, when somebody becomes so adamantly against you or organization or rule or whatever, they need to separate. When you're so adamantly against where you're living at, under that authority with your mom and dad, pack your bags and go. And my dad said, the door swings both ways. When you're so adamantly against everything that takes place in this house, it's time for you to go. Because what that leads to is this here. Hostility, rage, and somebody's going to give what? Yes. And God says, no, not in this house. That's why he comes with that sword to cut all of this away. And we got to deal with all of this. What God is talking about is this fleshly human side of us. 
This part of us that goes out of control. God knows what he made. But he's given us his spirit. And that's why when we study the second part of this thing, the fruit of the spirit, he gives us love in place of what? Hate. That I can love those who despitefully use me. I can love those who have bruised me, treated me wrongly. But that has to be a love that comes from God. And he goes on down to that list. And he's the one who has to bring me under control. See, a lot of y'all don't know. Pastor Brown used to carry a gun. I still got my gun. I just got handcuffs around it. Well, when I would go out, I had my gun. You used to go down Howard Street, everybody had a gun. And the Lord had to work with me with that. The Lord had to work with me that he's my protector. He's my shield. And he's not going to allow a gun in his house. You'd be surprised how many churches today have somebody armed in the church because they're scared of getting robbed or somebody running up in the church. Even the insurance companies have started to state, put somebody in your church with a concealed weapon to protect your people. You know, we've gotten bad. But when it comes to this area of working against something, you're going to work against your father, your mother. You're going to work against your brothers, you're going to work against this, or you're going to work against your company, or you're going to work against that to just disrupt it. It's time to pack a bag and and go. And he says, it's not going to happen in his house. Those are the things that God is dealing with. And when we go back into Galatians, I want to remind you of something. Look who Paul is talking to. Christians. Christians. Why? Because this is the fleshly side of us that God is dealing with. That he has to bring to a place that comes under his control. That comes under his authority. And if you're not walking under the authority of God, if you're not walking under the authority of the Spirit, you're going to see these things in your life. You're going to see them. And you can identify that you're living in the flesh and not in the Spirit. And you need to ask yourself this question. Are you truly born again? Number one. Two, if you come back and say you're born again, then you've got to ask yourself this question. Are you yielding to the Spirit of God who will teach you how to live as a Christian? Are you yielding to the Spirit of God? Are you yielding? Are you yielding to the truth of God's word? 
And are you applying it to your life? And if you're not applying it to your life, then you're still applying these fleshly things. But if you're applying God's word to your life, these things are being removed from your life. Follow me? We are the only people who can live either in the flesh or the spirit. The unsaved person cannot live in the spirit. They can only live in the flesh and do the fleshly things. But those who say we are born again have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these things of the flesh and live a different life. Are we on the same page? Can you see it? It's your choice to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. And you're the one who has to begin to say, this is what you will not allow in your life. You will not allow adultery or fornication in your life. You will not allow hatred and murder in your life. You will not allow these things to be in your life. You're not going to allow your temper to take control of you because the Holy Spirit's going to be in control of you. You're not going to allow these things in your life because your life has a purpose to glorify God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O God, that your word is true. And these things will not be in your kingdom. And these things should not be in the life of a person who is born again. And I pray, Father, that you would minister to us as your people. Because, Lord, we're still learning. But we understand that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. That, Lord, we're different. We're different just because we're in Jesus Christ. And we live life in the power of the Spirit. And we live life victoriously, overcoming our feelings, overcoming these things that would tie us up in sin. We overcome these things that Satan would shoot at us. We understand these pitfalls that Satan placed before us. But you build a bridge over them. Or you give us a way around them. Or Lord, you mightily take us through it. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who desire to honor you and live for you and love you. It's not about what you give us. It's not about what you grant unto us. It's not about your blessing. It is about the eternal life that you have given unto us in Jesus Christ. And you never gave us another thing but eternal life. We owe you everything. We owe you everything. And it is our reasonable service 
to yield to your Holy Spirit and be conformed to your will and your way. Thank you, Lord. Minister to us. Let your Holy Spirit do a work in us right now. You know every area of our lives. You know where we hold bitterness. You know where we are fearful. You know where we hold hatred. You know our adulterous ways. You know our fornication. You know our drunkenness. You know that we believe in something else other than you. If it's nothing but believing in ourselves. You know the witchcraft that we try to work and do this and do that. Lord, there's nothing hid from you about us. We are naked before you. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would wash us in the blood of Christ and your Holy Spirit would begin a work in us that he has never done before in us because, Lord, we have not asked you into that area of our life. But right now, Lord, we ask you. We ask you to deal in that area. We ask you to work in that secret area of our lives. We ask you, Lord, to come into that area, into that room of our life where we've had the door locked and shut and didn't want to deal with it. We ask you right now in the name of Jesus to come into that area and work. Set us free from it. Set us free from it. Deal with it. That we truly are the sanctuary of the living God. We are the living temple of the living God. Lord, work in us right now. Work in us. Work in us, Lord. You're a living God. You're alive. And we love you, Lord. And we are your people. And we need to be broken. We want to be used by you in a mighty way. But we know it cannot happen unless we are fit vessels. Lord, work in us. Cleanse us, O God. Purify us. Purge us of all these things that hinders us from being used by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today.